complete finally you know how when you just trying to like make sure everything is fine so it's just all right and then you're like wait let me check if i got anything else that needs to be sorted like, just in case while i put this on thing because it's mad still but yeah it's long, it's long but there you go all sorted all sorted loud and clear we clear we clear everything else i wish we were at the studio to do this but obviously yeah pandemic and that what's covid yeah what's covid saying for you though by the way because obviously it's different for everybody else so especially i want to kind of hear what's going on so yeah i've been working since covid um i work in mental health so we've been just working digitally so i've been pretty much the same schedule um just obviously making things more digitalized so i've been the same is it hasn't really stopped for me except I get the comfort of my own home to kind of work and I decide my schedule mm. kind of based around home. But yeah, I've been working at home now for like mm. three months now. So it's, oh, it's you're, you're chilling, man. Cause I, I was, I was gone for like when, when I start working from home, like mid March. And then yeah. I just like this starting this past Wednesday, yesterday, I literally just, started going back to work but i can't take public transport so i have to go bike so it's like a 30 40 minute bike ride from my house to work mm-hmm. and I, I have to i have to bike at 7 a.m so i'm like it's long but we move but it's good though it is good for me anyway so it's not like a big deal it's not, it's not big... <laughs> this heat oh lord jesus i had to go up like two three hills two like small hills but still, that heat? No, 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 no. I had to take a break. I had to take a break, friend. I was, that was long. But it was mad. Okay, cool. Yeah, 113. 113. Back for another episode. Um, special guest in the building. And this is actually a surprise because I didn't even know you'd actually message me out the blue. So I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. Okay, cool. Read everything. <laughs> and I remembered you did, a, did something with... Um, I think you did something with Kurtley on his live. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was af- that was literally like the week before or the day before, sorry. Um, mm. I did a live with him as well. So mm. that was that was, I was like, Oh, I remember him. So yeah, all right, cool. Remember his face, whatever what he talks about and stuff. So that's always good to hear. But for people that don't know who you are and what you do, mm. um, and it's obviously your first time on a podcast setting maybe or uh, in this mm. specific platform um mm. we tell people what you do especially and what you specialize as really yeah yeah so i am um, my name's lewis so i work in primarily mental health so i work for a charity in bristol called off the record um i work specifically for uh how do you how do you conceptualize it like a, a part of off the record called project zazi which deals with specializes in the BAME experience. So I work primarily with young BAME people aged 11 to 25, and I kind of specialize in social action or activism. 
So I train up young people within Bristol, whether it's in schools or community centres, to basically go out and do a madness against Babylon and kind of just train them up to be activists and, you know, from, from a young age, start instilling that awareness around history, identity, and, and the, the wider cultural context. So that's, that's what I do in terms of off the record. And I also, uh, I lecture up at UWE you know, a few times uh, a year on personal development and um, mm. uh, academic success. So that's my other project outside of, of the OTR work. But generally speaking, I, I'm in the mental health space, whether that's activism, coaching, or mentoring, that's kind of where I am at the minute. So yeah, that's, that's good though. That's good because not what I hear anyway. There's not many people that work in mental health that I know of anyway, um, as well as um, stories. We 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 tell stories all the time about mental health, which is a normal thing at this point. But um, it's not as like someone's profession per se. Mm. Um, mm. So, how did you get into that? Because it sounds like it sounds like you made. You could have made the choice straight away, but also you could have like had a certain calling and said, "Okay, this isn't working out. I'm gonna change because you know we change our minds a lot of times, or um, we have this moment of like realizing something like, like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I prefer mm. this.' And, mm. Yeah, yeah. So I stumbled into mental health and sort of, um, I suppose. Coaching was the first step, right? So uh, when I was in uni, I had a degree in, in psychology. And whilst I was studying for that, I um, really fell in love with like one-to-one mentoring. Like I just loved working with people and just helping them get to where they needed to be or, or help them set goals. And, and the very basic stuff of mentoring was just like, I loved it. So to cut a long story short, what happened was I started working specifically with BAME people within university. So I was mentoring those guys and providing my experience as a, just to the university standard, and as a very successful student, um, someone who was doing a lot of different things. So I was trying to pass on as much information as I could because, you know, the stats in terms of uni in particular is, is a bit of a mad thing in terms of if you're BAME in a university setting, the odds are stacked against you for a number of different reasons. So I was in that role for about a year Again, I loved it. It opened up doors for me to start developing my own workshops. And again, like I said, at the beginning lecture in particular spaces. But in terms of off the record and how I got specifically into mental health, it was a, it was just being in the right place at the right time. So I, I graduated from uni in the summer. I had a few months off to work on my own business projects. And um, I got really sick. I got food poisoning from uh, a place in London. I don't know where it was, but I know I got mad, mad sick. And um, I was like ill for two weeks and I was, wasn't working. I wasn't doing anything. And this kind of job opportunity came up for OTR off the record. And it was like perfect. It was a social action role. So it was activism based. It needed mentoring experience, coaching experience, psychology experience. And I'd worked off the record before for a few years in, in different roles, um, sort of youth activism based, because that's how off the record kind of works. Mm. And I was basically, what I said when I graduated, this is two places I'd go to work if, if I couldn't start my own business. One of them was off the record, one of them was at UWE. And off the record came up and I was like, I've got to do it, even though I was mash up. Like, I was like, I've got to put together this like crusty application, just kind of hope, for, hope they remember me for some of the other stuff that I did like maybe a couple of years prior. 
did that, uh, had a had an interview, and, and the rest is kind of not history because I've been in the role for a very short time, but things kind of came together in that space. But for me, mental health, uh, personal development, success, all those things are, are really what I love. And I always knew I was going to end up in that space, but getting into a space where I'm dealing with race, mental health, class, all, all of this stuff, mm. it was really kind of a, a, a perfect role for me at, you know, at this point in my life. So that's kind of how I got into mental health. Oh, okay. That's, that's an interesting thing because it's almost like the timing was perfect because of what's happening now. So it's yeah. like, you're just there, like just before the starting line, you're ready, like are there preparing for, for everything else. Um, so obviously since that whole thing starting with COVID mm. happened and it sounded like it didn't really affect you much. Um, mm. so probably the main topic of conversation in terms of mental health, what I've seen on social media is what yeah. happens when after George Floyd passed. And that's always been, I don't know if you have Twitter yourself or Instagram, but, um, it, it's, it was like a rough few weeks. Like you could literally see people tweeting their life away like of what's going on and some people couldn't take it some people literally said i'm off i was off social media i was off it i was off um everything just to keep my peace of mind and various other things some people spoke yeah. up some people and then pe then people speaking up kind of created something of work exposing certain things and you could tell who who's real and who's not so which is kind of like a good thing in the storm per se. And mm. how would, how did you think of other people's mental health that you were working with? Because that must've affected a little bit, especially in your workplace, especially mm. the people you, your mm. clientele coming to you and saying, this just happened. I'm seeing all of this. I'm experience, I've experienced this before. I want to express it. But at the same time, like, I'm just, I'm in shock. I, I can't, like a lot of people that I speak with mental health, they, they, they're sometimes either tired, they're lazy, they don't do anything. They have these spurts of bipolarism, maybe possibly. Um, there's, um, there's like, I've experienced some of that, like a little bit of a depression stage. Um, there's, there's so many other aspects. So how, how does that, how does the clientele that you actually have on your side affected that way? Because kids coming to you, as you said, at the age of 11 to 13 to 25, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. age group alone is so that, that middle part, just the first beginning in the middle is really delicate as well. That age group is really delicate. So, how do you approach this? Because you have to come in in the sense of giving them the real information and how we deal with this and being as passionate as possible, but also making sure that you're not too excessive because there are some points maybe they could, a lot of people could perceive that as a bit aggressive or a bit of a, um, a forceful way to feed information as Absolutely. well. So, so yeah, you've 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 
touched on three of the main things that we've been kind of impacted the most um, in terms of dealing with young people. Uh, like contextually, for, for the young people we work with, this is probably the first example uh, at an age in their life where they start to see police brutality and the horrors of police brutality in, in the context of George Floyd and, and some of the things going around Twitter and Instagram. So from a mental health perspective and sort of understanding the experience of the young person, what you often get is that initial emotional response of, I want to do work. Like this something has to change. Like how is this happening today? And you get all this pent up emotion and, and, and passion for wanting to change the system which is great in a way because obviously you know as much as it's obviously a, a terrible context that we find ourselves in the one of the positives of social media is you know as much as it's damaging which i'll talk about later on in terms of the dark side of it also educates in a way that you know kind of bypasses mass media to a certain extent to a certain extent but you have this pent up like enthusiasm i want to change the system but also being young people there's that not being able to emotionally regulate themselves because at the end of the day, whether it's a video or whether it's uh, real life, like you said, you're seeing people's lives sometimes on video being taken away. That is going to impact anybody and it's going to impact especially young people at an impressionable age. And um, one of the first things we were trying to do during this time was just saying to young people, look, listen, engage with some of the stuff, but be careful because at the end of the day, like, when you're looking at that stuff consistently, it is going to have an impact. It had an impact on me, you know, and I've been in this a lot longer, even though I'm still relatively young, I've been in this a lot longer and, you know, it impacts me. So I can't imagine what it does to a young person, right? So on one hand, you've got the pent up enthusiasm that's kind of really wanting to make a change and really for the first time angry at the system. You start to think about, well, this system ain't really fair, but in the same sense, it's also like, oh my God, I've just seen somebody literally get beat up, die, insert graphic content here. How do you manage the two? So, yeah, it's been a really delicate balance of channeling that passion and sort of bypassing the, or not bypassing, that's the wrong term, redirecting the enthusiasm. Instead of looking at Twitter and getting yourself vexed, go to the books and start educating yourself on history a little bit more. Because what you'll find in history is well, these things have been happening over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and it hasn't changed. So then that gives you a bit more of a context to be like, okay, so it's given knowledge, but it's also kind of avoided. You, you can't avoid everything on social media, but you're kind of redirecting it to an educational format where you're in books and resources as opposed to actual videos and, and recent kind of events. So it gives more of a contextual understanding. Um, and then it's also a case of being able to regulate that. Because obviously if you're seeing them things, you need to have well-being resources to, to look after yourself. The BAME mental health space has been impacted, particularly with the rise of COVID and with the rise of, uh, you know, um, a lot of the, the videos and, and, and sort of the Black Lives Matter movement because you've got COVID, but then you've also got, the, the the systemic racism aspect of it too mm. so you're trying to essentially as hard as it is give that support to something that's consistently 
changing, the dynamic changes, and, and the, the BAME space has been impacted the, the most, like I said, by mental health in, in the mental health space. So, you know, a lot of young people who access therapy, for example, um, in a sort of one-to-one, face-to-face format, they can't access it at home because they're in a house full of people that don't necessarily know they're accessing therapy because to them, therapy and mental health is a stigmatized subject. So they can't access therapy, they're struggling, but they're seeing all of these things in the media and they're seeing, or they've got all this anxiety around COVID, there's no place for them to talk and vent about it. So we've been having to churn out digital resources to try and bypass that as much as possible, whilst simultaneously educating and and trying to provide a bigger contextual picture for young people too. So it was a really delicate balance. you know, we get it right for the most time, but it's hard to know exactly the dynamic because things, as I said, are changing so much in terms of, you know, not just in terms of COVID, but in terms of the wider systemic racism conversation that we're having mm. in, in sort of public eye right now as well. So it's, yeah. it's a very, very delicate balance. Man. Yeah, that's that's fair because as, as you said, BAME, that community uh, the community that we are in is affected the most mm. in terms of not just covid but the entire thing of what's going on socially um and 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 it's also affecting politically now as well um uh, we have seen obviously what's going on in america but we've also seen what's going on here that how it, it's affected everything um as an example of but there you you can tell that there have been certain changes and how platforms are used. As an example, um, Marcus, Rashford, Marcus Rashford of Manchester United, he's um, supported through the fact of having free school dinners again, which helps as, because back in the day, as we all know as, as kids, when we were in secondary school, we, we had that. And then Jamie Oliver said, nah, we need health options and we got and they got to pay. We was like, you're ruining our lives. So, and you're ruining our enjoyment of just being kids. Like we have to, which, which was kind of a double-edged sword. Like we got to learn how to make, you know, them ki- you know the kids, you always, you always had a friend that was selling like cans of Coke or sweets and stuff, stuff like that, that kind of taught some people money management and they found that quite early but for some of us we didn't get that um which was kind of like the 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 tough part um so some kids couldn't even have school dinners like that they had to have bread like a sandwiches they had to make their own you know what i'm saying and mm. and that was an, a big effect as well because sometimes when we get that three four pound sometimes you'd be like oh, i could go to the chip shop after after school or I can do this meal here because I don't have that much. I, this food that I'm, I just got for lunch is not fulfilling me, mm. you know? So it was such a, a big thing for when I, fir- when I first heard it, that that was his main, one of his main goals and using his platform saying, coming, a guy coming from, um, I wouldn't say poverty sense, but kind of like a struggling background to where money, was, money wasn't as fluid as today compared to some people so um for him to stand up to that i congratulate him and uh, 
other people like Raheem Sterling is another one. Um, Dini from Watford. Uh, um, there's, you know, obviously Ian Wright has spoken out um, on how this has affected and I wish he did, did a little bit more back in the day. Um, mm. So there are changes, which is good, but at the same time, it's not enough. Um, mm. We still have these problems of, and, and back to mental health sense of um, seeing people on social media flexing their chains, flexing their shoes, flexing their other things, and they're still making money, con- consistent, uh, like certain consistent income to their, they're, they're fine when they're, um, when they're fine in this, during this time. But compared to the average guy that had to work a nine to five and either had to be on furlough or quit the job because of access to transportation, various other things, kids as well it's it's tough at these times so i think you've especially in the children like the age group you just said that's tough already mm-hmm. you've got uni students that are coming out finished degrees they some of their graduation when are they going to graduate um stuff like that so it's, i would say you you're in a tough spot but it sounds like you you've the, comp- the, the company you work for is, has done really well. Um, yeah. yeah, we have. And I think part of the thing, I work for a very, I like to say, progressive company in the sense that we're very owning of things that we need to work on. Um, and we're constantly having those uncomfortable conversations. You know, uh, you know for example, back in February, uh, our team spoke about the issues of systemic racism and mental health and how that's impacting, you know, a number of being communities, not just in Bristol, but across the country. Because we're such a progressive charity in that sense, and we have those conversations, it's easy to think that every other mental health institution in the UK or in Bristol uh, or sort of anywhere is, is the same. And that's sometimes not the case. There are large disparities in mental health that does not reflect BAME people's experience of mental health because the whole uh, ethos of mental health care in the UK is tailored around a specific person, um, whether, you, whether it's young people, whether it's sort of middle-aged people or older people, it's often tailored to and centered around a white middle-class ideology. And that's the issue because when people come into your space to access you know, therapy, and we can talk about some of the stats which are horrendous for, for, mm. for being people in, in that space, a bit later on but generally speaking the actual um ethos of mental health within the uk is is very tailored towards a specific individual and you could say and some people have said to me in the past well that's because britain is white so we must reflect the 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 majority but it's like well let me give you a stat to argue that respectfully black people in particular out of the BAME demographic are seven times more likely to experience poor mental health, whether that's young people or older people. So they're drastically overrepresented in the mental health space. So the idea that they're overrepresented means that there should be more representation from a therapy point of view for them to access and have people that understand their experience. So to have a white middle-class therapist that has no experience of what it's like to be BAME or no contextual understanding is a massive disservice to people accessing the service. So we can say, well, it needs to be fitted around the majority. But the fact of the matter is, in terms of certain stats, 
we're, we're not being represented enough. So we need to look at the numbers before we start making vast conclusions about what the mental health service should be. Because at the end of the day, white middle class excludes white working class as well. And it excludes all the other demographics. It's tailored to a specific type of person, which is very, very problematic. So mm. I think there's a lot to be done within the mental health space in the UK. And you can almost be fooled into thinking, well, you know, the mental health space here in the UK is doing so well. On, on a surface level, yes. But when you start looking underneath some of the numbers and some of the facts, you start to think, well, like there is issues here that we're not talking about. We're not making any effort to solve. And as a result, it perpetuates, you know, to be even deeper in a sense, it perpetuates the systemic oppression that's happened for many, many generations because of how it, how it attacks mental health. And attack is the correct word within those spaces. And, you know, I can share obviously some stories about that as well, as long as talking about stats. But mm. the fact of the matter is it's not representative of some of the numbers out there, and that is problematic. Yeah. Does, is, I know that the government, like, there are spaces, not just off the record, but there are other, other government spaces for mental health, I believe. Um, I don't know if, if there are in Bristol other than, other than you guys. I'm assuming there is. But I have I've spoken about this as well um, on the podcast like a few times of how us men, just in general men, don't express how we feel in an emotional sense that relates to mental health as well a lot compared to now. Um, I've luckily enough I've had support in the sense of just the people around me and kind of teaching myself um so I would say I'm very privileged in that sense but compared to maybe an average Joe that is whose first time experiencing these emotions and stuff and and being told that to be a man to be a man you have to be not show emotion to a certain degree um, so I'm assuming there are going to be young children at, at your age groups that, that are young kids, that are young boys that come to you and saying, not saying, not saying everything, sorry, not saying the actual route to it. So how do you, I wouldn't say program, but how do you teach them to kind of be more expressive at a young a young age, young as 11, because at 11, you don't really know your, your emotional intelligence is not great or not that high. So how, as a guy that possibly has experienced some type of mental health issue or seen some people that are, or helped people that are had mental health issues, mm. how do you teach that and adapt it to that certain child or person? Because every person is different because that's what I, 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 I've been telling like even my female friends or any people like we, we, as men, we don't, we actually just don't speak. We don't speak about this emotion. It's, it's crazy to hear, but yeah. it, it's a fact. Yeah. Um, so this, this is going to be answered in two different ways. So in terms of how I work with young people or attempts to work with young people, 
Um, I learned this from somebody, you know, a while back, this, about appealing to the interest of the young person. So I work with young people, so that's why I'm focusing this at young people. Yeah. Because like you said, 11 years old, or, you know, the ages that I usually work with, around 14 to 15, coming up to 18, you start to see the first examples of what we call repressed emotion. So like not discussing or not even having a conversation about how we feel uh, as men to contextualize it to your question uh, as men and talk about our mental health so you appeal to the interests so a lot of the time because i work with primarily being people a lot of the expression that you know young being males express themselves through is either through sport or music mm. so it's about contextualizing okay what about sport is so appealing to you or it just gives me a time to you know, just not think about anything, just have fun and express yourself. Okay, so what are you trying to not think about? Uh, well, I'm not entirely sure. Okay, that's fair enough. What is it that football gives you that you don't get anywhere else? Teamwork, feeling a part of something, feeling like I belong, uh, feeling like I am uh, valued as, as, a, as a valued member of, of, of a team and feeling like my place is 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 of worth okay fair enough what about music uh well, i like listening to music because it's like just gives it just reflects how i'm feeling okay what do you listen to i listen to insert genre here okay mm -hmm. what is it about that genre? i'm unpacking it but what you find is a very similar thing between music and, and, and team sports or sports in general it's the sense of either belonging in the sense of teamwork or, or, or feeling understood when it comes to music. My man from the drill beat gets me. He knows what it's like on road. So it's, I like to hear that. Or this music or this R&B joint that I listen to, but no, none of my boys know I listen to, the emotions get me, but I can listen to it in private because I don't, I don't have to share that with the man then, but like, I love the way the tune just gets my emotional state. Cool, well, that's fine, man. I'm the same. Or you know, in the team feeling like I belong, as I said a couple of times already, what it is, is a dissatisfaction with how that individual fits within the wider societal framework. To, mm. be, a, to, be, to be very sort of uh, analytical. So okay. the, team the team provides a, a place for a person to feel like they belong. You know, with the BAME male experience in school, for example, they're more likely to get expelled. They're more likely to get, you know, severe detentions or, isolation as it's called when I was in school um, they're more likely to be grossly misgraded um, and and sort of predicted grades are just mad low compared to their white counterparts there's a number of dis different systemic issues that reinforce that message of you don't really belong in this place and that yeah. follows them into university the workplace even if they get to university or if it, it goes to the workplace it follows them into the workplace the only way they feel that sense of belonging, like they're valued, is in a sports setting or in a team setting. And that's kind of what we find, generally speaking, not to kind of stereotype, but these are the conversations we usually have. Mm. And it's about not just taking the young person's answer at face value. Yes, they love football because they love football, or yes, they love music because they love music, but there's a deeper reason why. And as human beings, we are attached to activities, behaviours, uh, and, and particular pursuits, not just because we like them, they tell us something about ourselves mm. and they give us that sense of purpose and drive. So if you can identify what that drive is within that young person, 
then you can start to discuss the root problems very gently because you're not just going to be like, hey, man, you don't feel like you belong, do you? Because that's not going to work. It's going to cause a whole heap of defense mechanisms and you're not going to get through. But once you can kind of understand a little bit, okay, this person's dealing with identity issues. They don't feel like they belong. You can start to provide them, again, with education around that subject and you can start Mm -hmm. to get them exploring it and thinking about it, but never making it seem as if you're leading them down the road you want to make it seem as if they're doing it themselves because that's that's the power that's that's the powerful purpose of education when you feel like you're doing things yourself and you're discovering things by yourself you feel great you feel like you are to put it lightly this shit and you start to actually understand your power within that context but mm. what that requires us to do not just as mental health professionals but even if you've got younger brothers or siblings particularly at that impressionable age is to start questioning the taken for granted assumption that my brother likes football because he likes to play sports or my brother likes music because everyone likes music. You've got to start having them conversations early because the earlier you have them, the more easier it is to broach them subjects later down the line mm. to answer that question. But, you know, in terms of a, a more general um, analysis of male mental health, we are told from, you know, primary school in, in, sort, of, in sort of the UK's context that emotions are not manly uh, you know, that's more of a feminine pursuit or that's more of something you'd expect from a female. But the truth of the matter is that is a pure cultural construction and we just internalise that as fact. But, and a lot of the time it's kind of explained through science, right? So, you know, men are, men have more testosterone so they're more likely to be aggressive, aggressive or they're more likely to be domineering. No, fam, it's a societal narrative that yeah. makes men feel like they own and dominate stuff biology is just a sequence of genes culture Mm. allows that behavior to happen it's culture Mm. that's the culprit but we look at biology as if biology is this fact for human behavior human behavior has been constructed since the sort of cognitive revolution thousands and thousands of years before sort of any sort of religion was in place so culture has ruled humanity for literally hundreds of thousands of years but we never have these conversations with young people. Like, they just assume from age 10 that, oh, my biology means that I'm more aggressive and I, I don't need to speak about how I feel or these are the behaviours that I have to sort of display in public. And that's why we have a mental health crisis with men because they want to fit this idea of what ideal masculinity is when they don't fit it. So if you don't fit it, you're in that constant conflict between, ah, I know what I'm like in myself. I'm the biggest sensitive guy going like that's fact like man was bawling at normal people you see normal people on bbc i was crying bro like it done me <laughs> in like I a couple of days off work and everything yeah i could not have that conversation two years ago with people oh, man, normal people man was bawling like you know i couldn't do it because yeah. i still internalized that narrative of if i'm telling people i'm crying these men are gonna think i'm soft i'll probably get like bantered for a few I've, weeks about it, you know I, you're yeah, afraid of banter. i've had that yeah you know what I'm saying? So, so, so it's like we need to start having these conversations earlier with young people young men in particular and just say look listen if you want to cry if you want to get emotional if you're angry if you're upset if you're frustrated if you don't feel like you belong that's okay we can have that conversation but until you start talking about that and telling us how you feel you're just going to sit and suffer and what's going to happen over the years that frustration is going to get buried and buried and buried and buried until one day somebody says something stupid to you and you just explode because that's years and years and years of pent up frustration and anger inside of you. 
but the, the media will say, oh, these men are just violent. Nah, it's a systemic Systemic like, thing, yeah, yeah, systemic thing, and we've we literally the we've seen it now. We've literally just seen that explosion, and so um, I would suggest anyone listening or watching to just if you feel a certain type of way, um, that you feel like maybe even whether it be bipolarism, d- depression, whatever, anything like that, um, either because in some way, shape, or form friendship your friends and your family are free free therapists to a degree um that's just my experience anyway um Mm. and if you feel like it doesn't help i believe there are free um free workshops and so forth that people have access to that are either provided by certain uh, charities like yourselves or um I believe some, probably by the government as well. Um, I've I've heard that there is a company in London that do loads of um, workshops in that sense all over the country, but um, I forgot their names. I wish I got their name, but um, so I would say just use free. If you, if you can't afford it, just that there's free available workshops where you can just turn up and they're, they're there to help that if they're there, to they've decided to work this because they want to make a change use that like it's it's there so it's just that we have to kind of as men and women um of different ages we have to be kind of brave and say i'm going to do this just because there's loads of obviously blockages there's ego perception in life and various other things so i think it's yeah that's what is important especially during this time so I, I wish that on everybody to, if you need help, like, also, if you feel like you haven't talked to someone, just call someone. Like, mm-hmm. th- that's so important. Like, there was, because, um, I don't know, I'm assuming you have Twitter. I don't have Twitter, no, but I, I, I have Instagram. I yeah. Have I, I see tweets, though. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, there, there was an incident on the timeline recently about um this this ties into what we kind of see on social media that's affecting uh, mental health as well it's there was it was an incident of a, a list created by women that were um assaulted uh sexually assaulted that felt like they were sexually assaulted um but never spoke on it um so there was a I don't know the I forgot the profile, but um, that specific profile said, put it on the timeline and said, listen, if you've ever been uh, oppressed or sexually uh, sexually abused or various other things um, that you feel not comfortable, that you haven't spoken about or don't want to speak about, you feel like it's a trigger warning, um, can you please DM me and compile the list? it's not just Twitter was there, it was also Instagram people, but also there was a lot of famous people on there as well. Um, but that specific list was only created for women so that people in the timeline, when they see it, they can avoid these pe- types of people. They unfollow them, um, whether it be cancel all ties or maybe a report as well. Um, obviously that kind of 
loads of information leaked about who they who who it was and various other things. Um, a lot of celebrities came out as well. Um, female celebrities about how they felt like they were sexually abused and like you um, whatever. And there was a lot of men that were there saying like defense mechanism, as you said, like uh, when they when they saw it. Imagine it was on a Friday, like done on a Friday. It's the last day of the week. Stressful long day. Bang, that happens. And the whole internet just went crazy. So, because it's funny. I, I don't know if you've watched this show called um, I May Destroy You. I've heard about it. Yeah, you know, I've heard, I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's like this. It's weird because it was literally the same time I watched that. And then that happened. And I was like, holy, like, this is crazy. Because I've even, luckily enough, like, I saw a lot of people tweeting that I knew that were women and they were saying, like, um, they were saying, like, don't make this a joke and or whatever. Because there were a lot of people making jokes. And some of the, um, how do you say, like, apologies on, you know, when, when celebrities do apology on notes, yeah, <laughs> and they screenshot it and then they post it on the timeline yeah. and Twitter and Instagram and stuff. Um, yeah. I've seen a few of those, and some of them wasn't really. They didn't really, you know. They spoke about it, cool, but just look booky. Um, the, I've had a conversation with one of the women that uh, that are close to me about this, and I was just, I just made sure like are you okay about what's going on? Um, because this, like these people, women were tweeting like out, out rage, like just rage. Um, so I spoke to one and it was just like, are you okay? Is everything all right? Just kind of just check up because this is, this is a big deal, especially what's happening with the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and this is another extension of this, what's going on. Uh, um, so, they were the only thing I had with a lot of people were saying about proof. You 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 know what I've, you you know you know how I feel about that. Like that's just stupid yeah. to to tweet about it. Imagine imagine someone saying to you, yeah, um, if you bought something, and then um, they know they know they've seen you. They're the one that served you, yeah. So you come out, you come back in. Um, and it's like, oh, I found something else, but you're looking for the you're looking for the receipts. The uh, the they say, oh, what's your receipt? Can I see your receipt? And you're mm-hmm. you're looking at them a little bit like, you you obviously have the receipt on you, but at the same time you're just looking at it like, why? Because you saw me literally buy the thing five uh, um half an hour ago. So that's that's that that was it. And and obviously women go mad as well again. Whole everything has gone mad. And um, the only issue I had with that list was, which I was praying for when I, when I, when I finished work was, and I was speaking to someone about it, said, I hope no one used it as a plot for revenge, a plot for pettiness, um, because there are people out there. This is not just a woman thing. It's a men thing as well, where you, when there's an opportunity to diminish someone that you feel like has done you bad, 
they will use it recklessly. And I hope that I, I literally spoke about it. Like, I hope that it is true. That list does have um, authenticity and it's all facts, the people in that list. But at the same time, I hope that there is no people that are wrongly accused in there. Because mm. especially during this time, like it's, it's, it's kind of not, not good to tell lies. It's not good to spread rumors that aren't true, especially in that platform that was meant to be for safety of women. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so like, I don't know if you've experienced that type of client before where they felt like they've been sexually abused. But if you look at it, what's your take? Like what the one I've just said, what, in a, in a, in a sense of outside of it, what do you see? I see, and again, I, I need some more contextual info, but like what I see, uh, what COVID and lockdown has done for a lot of people has given them time to sit if, and reflect on a lot of different things. And with what's been going on, more generally speaking, within culture, with the Black Lives Matter movement, we start to have these conversations about injustice. And we start to have these conversations and we start to say, you know what, that's not right. That's not right. This is not right. This isn't right. And I think what the Black Lives Matter in, in 2020 has done has allowed us to not only look at race as an oppressive force, but the intersections of race and how race is impacted by gender, why, how it's impacted by sexuality, mm. how it's impacted by class, all of these things. And how I view that, uh, you know, in terms of, of what you said is, as, as men in culture, uh, as, as identifying males, we have a responsibility to basically allow women to communicate and, and, and talk about things that are even uncomfortable to us. And so in, in the context of having this conversation about you know, potential uh, people, individuals that have perpetuated uh, uh, abuse or or, or you know, some form of, of um, uh, discrimination, however you want to conceptualize that, there should be a platform where that's allowed to happen. And it shouldn't, like you said, it shouldn't be something that is policed for proof because that, that there in lies the issue of masculinity. Mm. Prove it. Prove it to me that that's what you're saying is true. Like, like this conversation isn't something that, you know, we should just be like, okay, what can I do to support you? Instead, it's prove it to me before I can support you. Because essentially, when we deconstruct that idea, what we're saying is, I'll believe you, but you have to prove to me that, you know, what you're going through is something that is actually truthful and that, you know, you're essentially asserting a, a level of superiority. Whether we like to acknowledge that or recognize that or not, it's very similar to conversations, and I'm not making direct uh, comparisons, but there's a very similar thing with white fragility and masculine fragility because mm. we are very so, so men generally speaking are the hold a degree of power in society so does whiteness in the context of this men are so triggered by people questioning their their power their dominance or, or, or you know their specific space that they lash out with this cognitive dissonance of well prove it to me like what does that even mean, bro? If you're not instigating this, or if you're not involved in this, why are you telling people to prove it? 
what you're just you're just perpetuating the problem further and you're making it even more difficult to discuss these issues in a, in a space like you said where it's supposed to be something that's safe sharing for women it's not even about you but somehow you've managed to make an issue on feminine exploitation or, or female exploitation or sexual discrimination however you want to conceptualize it you've made that a male issue like by by putting that question in prove it to me you've reversed it and you've totally missed the point and i think what these things are doing is they're showing how people very frequently miss the point when it comes to having discussions about inequality because as men we don't want to have a conversation about patriarchy because it's like oh you know, Very true. things are equal now, you know, this ain't the 20s anymore. When, when you really look at the societal structure of the 20s and you think, oh, but feminism is a thing now. Feminism is a thing mostly for white liberal women. Black women within the space still really don't have, you know, a platform to discuss femininity, gender and race openly because race gets shut down or their race and gender gets shut down by white liberals or, or white, you know, conservatives how we want to sort of conceptualize it so mm. it's really what you've described to me is what i call the kind of defense mechanism of power you don't like Ego. being like yeah you, you don't like being called out even though it's not you directly you assume the societal figure of masculinity and you're like they're drawing me out right that's comfort and it's like well no you're missing the point what we're saying is if you want to make society more safe if you want to actually support the women like you've been performatively posting on your twitter i stand with women black black lives matter but when suddenly conversations get a bit too real for you start whipping out the prove it it shows the individual for what they are and i think yeah. that platform is perfect uh, you know and i think there should be more initiatives online like that to start having people who are blatantly using power to their advantage and, and subordinating women or, you know, in some cases, potentially uh, men in, in particular spaces. But really the conversation here, like you said, is about women and about how women feel within the space. So let's not taint it with what about men or yeah. what about who. Let's just make it about what it's supposed to be about yeah. and understand the context. Yeah, and just read the room. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's the title of this episode. Read the damn room. Don't yeah. just... Don't just think that you're tweeting something because it's going to help the situation. Not the situation. You're going to be involved in this topic. You're involving, you're involving something that doesn't have, doesn't have nothing to do with you. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just, to me, when I looked at everything and I see these people, these people that say like, Oh, it's crazy, whatever, and they're like saying as as the words like you prove it, why men do this, men have this too, why what about us? I'm like, that's not the time for that. You mm. read the room and say, Listen, I will I wouldn't say not say anything, but I will be as delicate as I can and how I comment on this, but first off, find out how the women around you, as well as that you know, they're the most important people that you need to speak to at that specific time because those women 
you're not going to know everything about their lives. You're not going to know anything about their experiences with men. So you have to ask them first, like, how are they actually doing in this? Especially when they, when they see that on Twitter, they see this on Instagram, they see these various other things. You have to, you have to be a bit more empathetic for them. And it's just, use your brain, engage brain, engage your brain. Do you have a degree? Don't you have a degree? Like (laughs) you're a grown man. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, like at the age of 18, apparently we're meant to be adults, but, so, are you not an adult? Well, you know what I'm I think, yeah, I think I'm going to draw two parallels. Like, you see with masculinity, like you say, like, it's almost because you've assumed the position of power when it comes to issues around, uh, you know, sexual discrimination or patriarchy, because it's something that's directly challenging power, you just, you've grown up with the idea whether you realize it or not, and I, I said this the other day actually, like as men, we grow into a system of misogyny. Whether we realize it or not, our behaviors, if we leave them unchecked, are discriminatory in their nature. Like we're just this, like the way the system is set up, it's, un, it's an unequal power balance. Mm. And that's, that's the top and bottom of it. And you have to understand and engage with the other side. And I don't mean to, uh, like, I don't mean to, split gender into two in terms of male female but what i'm saying with the other side is masculinity is a tiny component of gender identities right it's a it's a very small component but it's the biggest and most dominant like when we're trying to understand femininity or you know the non-binary experience all of these things that are impacting individuals within that space we just assume that oh you know masculinity is, is is the superior and and Therefore, when masculinity gets questioned, we must respond with like stuff. But the fact of the matter is, the responses prove how uneducated we are. And I include myself in this conversation too, because whilst I engage with, you know, feminist literature, or whilst I engage with and try to understand as much as possible the LGBT plus experience, I don't know it all because there's a specific amount of privilege that I hold as a male that sometimes makes understanding and, and at least initially trying to wrap my head around things difficult because it's not because I don't understand it but it's about getting my head around right have I really perpetuated this behavior for so long but it's that education process if you understand that right even if I don't realize I'm doing something I'm still doing it like being able to acknowledge that is the whole point of these conversations but instead what happens is we get triggered and I say we generally as in men get triggered on Twitter and feel like they need to defend their masculinity as opposed to going, instead of saying, prove it, just say, I stand in solidarity, let me know if I can help. What's the difference? Oh, you're, you're accepting that even though it's not you that's being attacked, you represent a group of people in society that do discriminate or do make lives hard for other people. So you're just saying, how can I help? And it's the same thing with the White Lives Matter people. It's like, well, all lives matter. Why are we making it about, why are we making it about black lives? Well, you clearly missed the context of which this conversation is happening, and you haven't educated yourself on anything to do outside of your white privilege bubble. Because again, if you were actually educating yourself on the wider context, you would say, "Raw, maybe I am a bit of a dickhead. Maybe I am a bit discriminatory. Maybe I am a bit racist. Maybe I am a bit xenophobic." But I don't realize it. 
because no one, I've never really engaged with it. And that's what happens when we leave people unchecked in their privilege or unchecked in their assumptions. Mm. And I think what's happening now is people are being called out for it and they don't like it, but they'll continue to get called out because what's happened, like I said, going back to the beginning, COVID has given us an opportunity to not just reflect on ourselves, it's given us a chance to reflect on the system in general. It's given us time to read, explore, understand. Some people have been using it not for that, but for most people, it's a case of, okay, I've got some work to do. And whilst that process is still happening, you're going to get those initial hostile people who don't want to educate themselves. But they mm. will eventually, you know, and this, this comes from people advocating on behalf of others as well, right? If you see somebody saying that stupidness, call them out too. Because at the end of the day, like the more people are attempting to correct is the more chance that things are actually going to go in. Mm. And I think like culturally where we stand at the minute, we stand on patriarchy and, and whiteness being two primary definers of like this country. And what's happening is whiteness is being challenged in a way that's never been challenged before. We've got people that are saying whiteness is the issue and whiteness is what we're trying to tackle, not just now, but across history. Let us know the full picture. Whiteness is under attack. And white people, and I say white people generally, are feeling for the first time, or first time in a long time, I don't know, because I haven't been around that long, but they feel like, oh shit, people are attacking us, this can't be right, all lives matter, it's a defence mechanism. It's that same thing. And I feel like we're in a very interesting time when it comes to that. Because I believe this time, you know, and it might just be my optimism and, and, and sort of where, where I position myself and my work, but I feel like this is really the time to start laying a foundation for change. And when I say change, I don't mean we're going to change the system in two years. If anyone tells you they've got the answer to what's going on, whether that's with patriarchy, uh, discrimination in terms of white supremacy or white privilege or white power, if anyone tells you they've got the answer, they're lying because it's a big, it's a big, big issue. Like there's no, you can't, you no, can't, you, there's no, there's no one line answer. There is no, str- there's no s- solution that makes it go away with, with some fingers doing this. Like there's no, there's none. So I, yeah. I completely agree on that, especially in the sense of what's going on and, I think the fact that the generation now is tackling it now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different, I think, in the next few years. And this is just me being optimistic. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, you know, it, it, as much as I'm optimistic, there's also a level of realism in the sense that when people are talking about revolutionising the system and changing the system, like just to kind of change it, but maintaining the, the context in which we're talking about, right? But let's just use the example of uh, masculinity being or, or male male privilege or white privilege whatever that is the, the primary positions of power in society if we're looking to change that we first need to understand the conditions of which that power is built upon that's, that's the first step and whether we're talking about race, whether we're talking about gender inequalities, whether we're talking about class inequalities, there's a common denominator in all three of those things and mm. it's capitalism Capitalism is one of those things where it, people miss it because they're just like, they're so indoctrinated into capitalism as a system. And I'm not a Marxist, by the way, but it's just a very interesting 
thing that I've noticed in my own work is the idea that race, class, gender imbalances, inequality in general stems from the economy or capitalist systems. You know, money. If we want to, it's all yeah. around about money. If we want to talk about race, we want to see, you know, the idea of racism. Like I had this conversation with someone the other day. Racism, like someone said to me, yeah, well, racism's been around for millions of years. So, well, yeah, okay. Racism has been around for a million years or xenophobia, however you want to conceptualize that. But racism, how we know it today in terms of the discrimination that we face or the systemic issues stem from capitalism. And there is a historical record uh, that supports this when it comes to slavery as a method of perpetuating capitalism. Yes, mm. black people were indoctrinated into a uh, slave system, but they were indoctrinated into that system because white people or the people who own property needed work done to build the, the systems that we live in today. Okay. It's a capitalist ideology. It's an exploitation. If we remove this black person of their rights, what we do is we basically turn them into a commodity, not a person. If they're a commodity, they work as long as we tell them to work. It's built in capitalism to, to, to really simplify that. The same thing happens with gender. We talk about masculinity being the driving force. There is a direct link in my opinion, between patriarchy and, and capitalism. Most men CEOs, owners of property in the world are male. They own it, they have most money, they sit in the positions of power in, in really powerful institutions in society. Therefore, they have the bargaining power. They have that, that, that ability to operate from that patriarchy. You take money away, you take power away, right? And it, it's kind of that, same thing capitalism has a lot to answer for and i'm aware it's an oversimplified view but mm. for the context of what i'm saying when we're looking at power across the board we need to look at the way in which power is built the, the, the economy is one of them things political power is, is another one of them things mm. politics again dominated by men dominated mm. by white men it's the mm. same thing there is that similar similarity between the economic state of us and the political state of us and both of them reflect white middle class male mm. that's that gives you the answer of how inequality is perpetuated if you're in them positions of power you control things and this is kind of what we're trying to do from a, from a mental health perspective too when we work with young people is we're letting them know from early this is the system and these are the key players you know we in order to understand the system you've got to understand it like a game, the connect, game connect the dots just connect yeah. the dots you know what i'm saying connect, connect the dots identify the key players, identify the key places, and then make your own decisions. Key players at the moment are, you know, America, Western Europe, Europe. But we'll see, I think, in the next 50 to 100 years, China and sort of the, the, the block economies, or how you call that sort of Brazil, um, you know, India, these, these economies will also become world powers. And People are scared about it, especially over in Western Europe, because they're like, oh my God, our power's going to go. What happens if whiteness isn't the, the most powerful uh, race in the world? What happens if men are the most powerful uh, rulers of the world? People are shook, but that's just because education is starting to break through a little bit. And the key players in this are often, at this moment in time, white middle-class politicians or economists. That, that's what runs the game. And I mm. think we've got to understand that you know, people are saying burn down the system. You can't burn down the system because the system runs on capitalism and a, a whole different sort of 
kettle of fish, you eliminate the people, the system still remains. You can't just burn down capitalism. What's the alternative? You've got to understand it and understand how you can sort of infiltrate it and make it more representative. And I know I'm going on some mad political rant. No, but it's no, 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 because you, I agree with you 100%. Bro, what, where, do, where does our taxes go? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's, that's plain and simple. Where yeah. does some of the taxes that we pay for, whether it be well, road tax, uh, no, not road tax, but like, I, I, I don't want to get into it, but there, there are taxes that we pay on the low. Yeah from our own bank accounts that help them people, the capitalist society to survive. Because then that's a complete fact. It's a complete fact. So here's an interesting fact for you though. Like, well, I don't know if it's a fact. Let me just remove the fact. I was uh, reading from some people that I know today. They were saying that, you know, the Nightingale hospitals in terms of COVID saw around 54, 54 people um, attended the Nightingale hospital. Mm. Um, and the government have allegedly sold off the PPE equipment or the equipment for the Nightingale Hospital to private hospitals in and around uh, London, even though they are paid by taxpayer money. So the madness is that equipment that we paid for in terms of tax has been given to a private sector that we don't invest in through our tax uh, system. So it's like, you're seeing injustice of, of capitalism and, and buying power in life in, in every day, but we don't necessarily pay attention to it. And, you know, that's not a conversation you really want to have with an 11-year-old or a 13-year-old where we're talking about the deepness of the economy. Mm. But at the end of the day, there are politics within economics as well as there are politics within sort of geopolitical state too. Like, there's mm-hmm. politics is everywhere. And what yeah. I'm saying is the system is built around inequality and the inequalities, if you're not white or middle class, you're going to be impacted by that by default. That's that's how it kind of that's how the game is played, for lack of a better term. That's the key component of the game. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I, I agree hundred percent. Everything that we've detailed at everything else is I agree hundred percent. But I do I do want to speak to someone about um I may destroy you. So I anyone listening or anything like that, I would recommend for you everyone to watch that because it, it's it's an eye opener. And the way it's set up, because I don't know, oh, I forgot her name. Uh, the main actress, she was on uh, a series called Bubblegum, I believe. I recognize the main actress, yeah. Yeah, she's been, she's been on a few series. That she, she was on a series on Channel 4, cha- Channel 5, um, called Bubblegum. Um, she's not a comedian per se, but she's just a really good actress that, that's involved in comedy as well. Um, I forgot her name, but I wish I wish um, I would like to have a conversation with her. Actually, that'd be that'd be amazing. Sure. Um, her journey, because I, I when I found her found about her was like last year, and I was like, oh, who is this? And everyone was talking about bubble gum or, or chewing gum. I think it was chewing gum. The show's called Chewing Gum. So everyone was talking about it, and I was just like, this looks interesting. So I watched a bit of it, and I was like, it's very entertaining. So I recommend that as well. So. Anyone who wants to um, have something to watch is definitely um, I May Destroy You. Insecure is finished, so I'm like, I'm just tired, bro. I I need something else to watch. Um, So, yeah, man. So, I want to go different direction. Let's go to a lighter note. Let's go to a lighter note. You know what I'm saying? Let's roll. Um, There's a lot of music beef in the music industry. I'm assuming you're very... And know what's going on 
um, obviously related to the topic that we just had, um, J. Cole and uh, No Name. Mm-hmm. Um, J. Cole releasing a song about a tweet that No Name made. Whoever, people that don't know who No Name is, she is a rapper as well as an activist, as well as a, uh, she runs a book club, I believe, um, that, as well as a feminist and an activist. And um, she, she doesn't rap as much now, but she does have great projects I've listened to before. And she tweeted about celebrities not um, using their platforms to speak up on what's going on. And obviously J. Cole replied, thought it was about him, because mm-hmm. as we all know, J. Cole is a hell of an introvert. He does not tweet. He does not speak on various things unless he's bringing out music that is related to the times. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people took that as watching tones and like, why are you let, telling a woman to watch her tone or how she speaks or whatever, is, or whatever. And I was just like, it's a big L for, for Cole, but at the same time, it's like people should know this. If you're a stan of hip hop or you're a stan of J. Cole, you should know that this man will do his activism through music, his art, as well as in the public eye. He will go to the front line and he will he will speak on it there. He doesn't have to tweet about it, he doesn't have to tweet about his life or anything like that. Like we didn't even know a lot of people didn't even know he was married until he literally said he got outed by a friend of his that was interviewing him saying, Oh, how is your marriage? How's married life? He was like, uh, like mm. no one knew until that specific time. So this shouldn't be a surprise, but mm. I think he felt away in the sense of what he was doing was very, he was there. He was, you know, showing the support without speak without, without words in using actions. And he felt like the shoe fits for him in that tweet. And obviously she's replied about it, of what's going on. Um, so I think that Jacob just got to take this L at this point. <laughs> I, I think there's an interesting point to be made around, you know, celebrities that aren't necessarily using their platform on, on, on issues, on issues like this. But... You know, I don't actually know enough about what's been going on because mm. I, the, how my music set up, I like what I like, mm. and I kind of like I stay within. I, I used to be like mad clued up on on the state of most genres because because I produce as well. Like I've, I have produced in a while, but I used to you know produce very very frequently. Mm. You know, it was part of for what I felt was my job to be like, yo, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, no, but it's been a fact for me. You know, talking about J Cole, that you know. You don't know about the guy until the project's released and then you get filled in through the music. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's just kind of how it's always worked. But I think if you're telling someone is it to watch their tone? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Is that what one of the lines, one of the, that was one of the lines, yeah. It's 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 it, it, it I'm not using the right wording, but it was definitely about something about watch your tone and various other things like that. Yeah, so some people will be like, well, it's just a hip-hop beef. So, you know, it's just like, you can say what you want to say. It's, all, it's only a beef. It's like, yeah, but, you know, at the same time, you're in a climate now where you're being watched and every lyric is being deconstructed, analysed. So even if you, like, didn't mean that line in a particular way, basically the rap game has become GCSE, English language, and English literature, 
where you've got lines of people are going, hmm, so he must have meant this when he said that, or he must have linked that with this, or yeah. like people are analysing lyrics like they are bodies of, of work. So mm. you should have known better, and maybe, maybe you, know, the, you know, there was an element of just being like, I don't care, I say what I've got to say, whatever. But, you know, contextually, particularly now, you should know better than to not, you know, use that in, in, a, in, a, in a track aimed at somebody. Um, and not expect people to be kind of angry by it. You know, I've always been a fan of, of, of Jay Paul's music and always respected the artistry. But I feel like most mm. most musicians I look up to have let me down <laughs> at some point. So I don't get too attached. <laughs> I don't get too attached. <laughs> I don't want to get my heart broken, man. I used to love, like, um, uh, I mean, I still do, but like, my heart broke when I realized D'Angelo was like into all that kind of like drugs and shit. And I was like, I was young at the time. And I was like, bro, what? Like, I idolized what? you to a degree, man. Why are you doing this? Yeah. But then, you know, it's part and parcel of being human making mistakes, but I feel like, and this is a lesson for people in general. If you make a mistake, don't just kind of, don't just skirt over it. Just be like, look, man messed up and like i made a mistake like i'm not even trying to put it right i'm just acknowledging it we move that's what we want to do sometimes but again it goes back to the masculine sort of pride maybe or ego and just being like nah man this is what it is it's hip-hop it stays where it is or yeah. you know but i mean in the you know I people mean, think about it and it people think about it it's just crazy but yeah j cole just take your l just learn how to just take we it. All, just... We, all, we all take L's, especially in music. Like, you ain't gonna... Yeah. Did, no, you ever, to think... did you ever think of J. Cole taking an L like this? No. To be honest with you, I, I didn't know. Like, yeah. I, I think I might have seen it on Kurt story, actually. And I didn't really connect the dots, because like I said, I'm not... I'm, I'm into music, but I'm not deep into it. And I just thought, oh, Cole's been out for something. Be interesting. But then when I'm sort of connecting dots, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have thought he would have been caught up in something like this to a certain mm. extent but mm. you know like i said nothing surprises me like anymore and i mean people are human and they make their mistakes anyway not to not to kind of brush that under the carpet in any way but you know i feel like i wouldn't have expected it from cold or people you know mm. I, i've always held kind of kendrick and cole in, in terms of hip-hop like contemporary like last 10 years or so Above everybody else, uh, or maybe I'll add some people in there as well. I've probably disrespected bear artists. <laughs> <laughs> there's, 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 there, there are a few artists there that we could put up. Um, but as you said, in contemporary as well as wor- um, wordplay and current times, yeah. like Kendrick and Cole are in the top. There's no, there's no yeah. um, debate in there. So Yeah, so you know, I've held them to a certain extent up there and I, you, you'd never you would expect them to understand the system and the way the politics of, of stuff works better like i wouldn't expect kendrick to get involved and i wouldn't have expected Cole. you know things things happen and people get drawn out in in, in the heat of things and sometimes yeah. you know not being aware of context but i think in terms of music i think what you'll see as a prediction of the sort of black lives matter uh, movement and, and being locked in just you'll have a lot of introspection expressed through people's music because it's impossible for you not to be locked up for three months and not start doing some soul searching i did and you know and i'm sure you did as well like you just start thinking about it like okay yeah 
maybe I need to work on this, and it channels its way into the art form. That's just how art is. So yeah. I'm expecting some fire releases moving into sort of the last quarter of the year in terms yeah, of like introspective rap. Yeah. And, you know, so that's my favorite rap. You know, I I love like don't get it twisted. If if a tune comes along with some beefy eight oh eight, some triple hi hat, and some like really crisp snares, I'm there. I'm breaking <laughs> out. But like in terms of actually listening deep in sound and, and actually like whoa. Like, yeah. I never appreciated the Carlos music actually until Yeah, same. I I, I agree hundred percent. Until recently I'm like, yeah, I get it. Because at the time I was like, this guy is just waffling, bro. Like, I don't understand <laughs> what you're saying. But as you start to understand this the system or, or life more, you're like, yeah, I like listening to that because it's it's an analysis of culture. Whereas, mm. you know, most rap or mainstream rap at the minute is about material possessions or how many gallery you've got in X area code and, and, and it, it bangs in a club setting, it bangs in the gym, but like in terms of actually like music that just hits a little bit different, you've got to have like that sort of, I don't like to call it conscious rap, it's certainly feel like that's the mic. No, no, that's right. It's, it, it, yeah. To a degree it is. Like there's no denying on the genre like Kendrick and Cole have been top of that game since they've come out uh, mixtape wise as well. So like, as a as uh, as an example, um, when Kendrick drops "Pimp a Butterfly," and then mm. when um, when J Cole drops "A Forest Hill Drive," um, those albums were 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 in the current times of as well as storytelling. So it's it 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 is where it is, and we have to relate to that. But to be honest, the only L that I could have predicted for J Cole was the versus one, the versus mm. uh, show. Because if he did a J. Cole versus Kendrick, I don't know. I think J. Cole will lose. I'm not going to lie. Mm. Yeah, uh, there's a few of my friends that would agree with that. I mean, listen, if I'm honest with you, like, I didn't think to kind of compare and sort of uh, add a uh, sort of similarity. I didn't expect Storms into Body Wiley how he did. So <laughs> in my head, I'm like, I was expecting Wiley to just, just dip him and leave. And then I was like, listening, I was like, Okay, okay, I've got to kind of pay attention and give respect yeah, where it's due. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I would like to think I, I put Kendrick, oh, I don't know though, because, like, I, I do put Kendrick higher in terms of the ability to just think on the spot and just, like, just finish. I would, I would not, if I was a rapper, I would not wear Kendrick. I'd rather wear J. Cole. Yeah. Yeah. And don't know what it is. Reason. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I think it's because. In my opinion, the versatility of Kendrick. So Kendrick can do the conscious, and then he can go and mash up a, a, like a club tune, and he can come and do something totally left and still body it. So the versatility is scary. And there's a reason why people don't call both of them out, because it's just like they're going to probably get bodied. There's a couple rappers I think could maybe do it, but like, or, or give them a good run for it. But at the same time, there's a reason why they stay up top and people aren't mm. really drawing for them is because there's a difference between being able to write club bangers and hit them top tens and being able to rap rap on the spot freestyle. Because I'm I seeing a man freestyle with the phone out sometimes. And I know historically freestyling is, is meant to be something that you just kind of, you know, you can write and then put together. But I'm seeing a man freestyle doing that as they come in through. It's disrespectful to me, to be honest with you. I feel mm. disrespected because I come to see you put some things together on the spot and you're just whacking out the notes and you're just kind of going through the bars. 
that's different, bro. It's different, fam. It's different. You know what I'm saying? It's just different, bro. Like, the time of freestyle is different here now. It's just different. Yeah. And we can't, we can't, we can't do anything about it, which is kind of crazy. But at the same time, like, they schedule these freestyles quite a long time. So there's only a handful yeah. of rappers that we, we would say that, um, that doesn't do that stuff. And, and those two are in there. Uh, Meek would put Meek in there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I saw Juice World do a forty-five minute freestyle. That 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 that's when I was like, yeah, this this kid. I want to listen to after that actual freestyle. I actually listened to uh, the popular project that he, he yeah. did that everyone was talking about, and I loved it. Yeah, he's a, he was a talented dude. You know, rest in peace. Yeah, um, rest in peace. But, you know, like that to me because I've always had a chip on my shoulder when I see like the sort of I, I, I call them like I don't when I say them kind of rappers you know what I'm saying where it's just like there's not a lot it's just a hook maybe a couple verses and you're just like okay alright it bangs but alright but like, I'd never expected the the, the the genuine freestyle I was watching it I was like there's no way he's doing this for 45 minutes so I'm like 20 minutes in I'm like Okay, he's showing no signs of stopping here. 30 minutes and I'm like, right, okay. This guy can spit, but he's just playing the game a little bit. And I respect that, you know? You've got to let people know sometimes that you can do a bit of both. And it's not a question of I'm this or that, I'm both. And I'm pretty good at, at both of them at the same time. So mm. I'm just I'm just ashamed it was on Westwood because I personally don't rate Westwood, never have done. Um, <laughs> hey, West, Westwood, I don't want to talk about Uncle Westwood, man. That, that yeah. guy is just, yeah, I don't want to talk about this guy. Like, yeah. the, 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 that guy is just, yeah. Yeah, bro. Like, Culturally. <laughs> just, in, it just, just right now at this time, yeah. just no. Just, just no. Like, that should have been. Yeah, that should have been for now. Um, like, like in terms of freestyles, Black Thought was one of the mm-hmm. best that I've seen. Meek, obviously, in my in, in what what he's provided me. Um, who else freestyle? King Los. King Los, um, a guy a guy called King Los. Oh my days! That guy spit for like ten minutes straight. I said, yeah, this guy is dangerous, bro. He used to be a battle rapper. Okay, he's, he's, that's he's, different. That's different. Grade. Yeah. Dif- different breed. Th- those men there that used to battle rap are a different breed as well. Um, well, so like when when I was coming as a young kid, I was into like electronic stuff. I I, I love hip hop, and for some reason, I think it's probably family influence. I stay to like you can't for me you can't touch R and B and hip hop from say nineteen ninety one through to two thousand and five. But the end of the nineties, do you know what I'm saying? Like end of the 90s untouched like that's you, the perfect you you get samples from that you get samples yeah. from that era it's it's just dumb like i'm a r&b man i'm a melodies guy so if you give me if 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 you put me on like 90s stuff like old old 90s maybe early late 80s stuff as well mm. i am going to flip like i just recently discovered french r&b like I am, I am spinning. My head is spinning, bro. I've got like two, three songs, maybe, maybe even, uh, uh, yeah, probably like five songs right now on rotation that are French. I don't understand mm. shit, but the feeling of R and B is just new. So Listen. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's incredible. 
So D'Angelo D'Angelo Voodoo is the best album of all time. That Voodoo D'Angelo is the for me is in my top. It's my top one. I can I can go through every song, and just just like perfect you album. You can't skip. No, you can't skip. It, it, it's perfect. Um, but like saying that, I listened to Tank's album. I I don't listen to Tank, right? It's on the R and B. Is an album he did in 2017. And I was like, let me check this out. So there's one tune on there. Like, and I was like, Jesus Christ! Like this is like pretty. Tank's Pretty got catalog, bro. <laughs> Tank. But this album skipped. I skipped it. I, I didn't realize. I was like, uh, I don't really. I don't. It's not. I don't rate Tank. I know he's got a you know a beefy catalog. But I was like, uh, Tank. She's like, okay. I'll play this 2017 album, not knowing what to expect. And I was like, whoa. I was like, this. This is. Pretty, this is like probably one of the better R&B, like recent R&B albums, even though it's 2017 that I've, that I've listened to in a while. Um, so, you know, it's yeah. just, you can't Joel, replicate. Joel, yeah. Genuine, Tyrese. Um, yeah. yeah, no, Joe has got, a, no, Donnell Jones. Um, yeah. John B. Come on, man. This era, that era there of Dwelling, R&B is yeah, just dumb. Madness and Bilal. Saw, yeah, listen, Soul Sister. Uh, that's the one tune I can rinse out for like three rotations, four rotations, five rotations. I've got that and, in like three different playlists. Like, of course, dumb. Yeah. So like, I think that you got to pay homage to that. And like, so when I was growing up, like, is that? But then it was also electronic kind of music. I used to produce dubstep when I was in school. I used to do all that. <laughs> Yo, dubstep, dubstep got people many different places where they were doing that stuff, man. Like, you, I, yeah. I can't blame you because at one time there was a few tunes that I was like, dubstep's lit. Dubstep. Yeah, so like, th- there's like so many different types of dubstep. There's like the sort of the screaming noisy shit, like, and there's the sort of deeper one forty BPM stuff, like the, the the deeper stuff, which is I I personally prefer more now, but like. Yeah, so there's a number of different genres that I grew up on, but I think I always go back to old school R&B and even, I think, like, even like in terms of more recent stuff, like Disclosure stuff in terms of House, again, like, the what's the album called? Almost my number two album of all time, Settle. Yeah, is, I need to check that. Is, I need to check that because I like Disclosure as a producing group, so I need to, since... I was like, oh, this Sam Smith record is disclosure. This is wavy. That album, Settle, has I need to, absolutely... I need to check I this. I need to check it on the full. Um, I just thought in my head when you said 140 BPM, yeah? Imagine Kendrick in Grime. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine like... it? Can you imagine it? I think... Grime-ridden. What, what, when we stay in Grime-ridden, or what are we saying? It's like... Like, I'm you... saying... Oh, what's what's a beat that we could use? So many classical beats, like 90, 96 bars of revenge. Okay, okay. I think I think he could body it. I don't know because, like, for me, like, there's a certain level of aggression though of grind. Like, you've yeah. got to be able to like maintain the intensity of a beat. So like you've got to be able to write like writing a grind beat at 140 is different to writing like a trap beat at 140 because it's just there's so much more it's simpler but there's so much more going on with the frequencies 
So you've got to be able to match that. If you can't match the energy, even if you're a lyricist, you kind of get drowned out by the, the sounds. So yeah. I, d- I think you could do it, but I would like to see him more, maybe like a like the P's and Q's beat, maybe, or, or something like that. Do you know what I'm saying? That's Mic check. Mic check. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. I think he could do a mic check. I'm not even gonna lie. When I because um, speaking of the Stormzy beef, Stormzy Wiley beef, when he did mic check, I was like, "Ooh, I haven't heard this beat in a while." So I played after watching that. I played the Kano version, and I was like, "Yeah, certain rappers can do grime, like U U S rappers can do grime." So like, obviously Kendrick is one. Busta Rhymes is one. Yeah. Of course. Um, Twister. I think Twister. Mm-hmm. Busy Bone could be one. Uh, I don't know who else, man. That could do grime. Obviously, there's a Jay-Z song that's grime. But, yeah. Mm. We, we don't know. I'm still, wi- I'm still hoping that DJ Green Lantern leaks that for me because... Because, <laughs> obviously, if you don't know, there is a POW remix with Jay-Z rapping on there. Oh my god. And he played I it. When, that. Yeah, and he played it during concert. And only I believe we were even even Bizzle didn't even know about it until he found out through a footage. So Bizzle doesn't even have it. The only person that has it apparently is uh Jay-Z and DJ Green Lantern. So That's the most that's the most viable doublet in the world, you know that? In it, that's the most valuable dubplate in the world. Like, whoever's sitting on that beat, yeah, whoever's sitting on that version, they got the most valuable dubplate in the world. They, like, that's, they, that's one of one. That's never rep- that you can't copy that. You can't you can't do a copy and paste and send that to someone because they will leak it themselves. You have to keep that to yourself. Yeah, yeah. So like it's, it's I'm dumb. saying, I'd, I'd be interested to hear that. I mean, I mean, there's a there's a there's a few guys that I think could transition over into sort of into crime. But, you know, I feel like grime as an art is kind of not dying. I, I hate to use dying because it's still very much alive, but in terms of mainstream, yeah. you're starting to see guys occupy that sort of US kind of uh, sound, like sort of auto-tune-y kind of... The trap stuff, like the trap trappy piece. stuff. Trap yeah, piece. which is great because it's got, it's got that... It's kind of showing how, like, the two scenes have almost influenced one another over, over, over time, but... I th- what made the UK scene so distinct was that aggression, the, the sounds were different, like even baseline, like baseline, like baseline beats are just disgraceful. Like, like they'll, they'll any, up every- any, like, I don't know if people will watch, remember this when uh, Skepta and Jammer had a beat battle on Instagram live. Right. Um, that beat battle, yeah. I was just listening in for these men have beats for days yeah and i'm thinking because i think skeppy's gonna come back with a grime album soon or a grime I'm, tune yeah a hundred percent either that or it's not if it, if that won't happen it's going to be a boy better no project it has to be um so i hope that will happen as well um but in terms of music beef drake and uh swiss beats uh as of recently so <laughs> I laugh because I've got so much information. I found out like certain information. I'm thinking that can't be that. It can't be that. And I'm like thinking, okay, cool. So did you, 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. like Swiss Beats is my one of my favorite producers. It's Timberland, Swiss Beats, one, two. Like Swiss Beats is my my second favorite producer. Like the the the, the catalog of beats of, of of Swiss is just dumb. Like the dumb. beats he's made is dumb. And like, like yeah, so it's fun. To I put out. I put Pharrell in that category as well. Oh, oh of course, Pharrell Neptune's in in there as well. Like, but yeah, Tim Timberland like. I grew up on them, them, them drum beats, bro. And like the one day he liked, he so this is one of my like, one of my ego trips. He liked one of my Instagram beats that I made there. So Timberland dropped in and just liked it. That was it. My year was made, bro. Like, <laughs> when when Timberland comes in, he said, "Yes, he knows me." He's like, "Yeah, this is fire." I was like, "I'm gonna stop making beats and I'm just gonna tell everybody that Timberland said that I like the beat." So. Timberland, you be like Timberland. Back in the day, Timberland called me in it. And he saw my post. He called me. He's just like, "Yo, that be fire," you know. And yeah, like, yeah. I was like, yeah. The, 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 I mean, Tim, he was always my favorite anyway. But like, it's Timberland, Swiss, Pharrell, um, and then I, I don't. It's kind of those are the top kind of three for me. Like, yeah, yeah. There's 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 a few that I would add in that list, but they wouldn't be. That's after them three. That's after yeah, yeah. them three, definitely. But um, obviously, we all know Versus, which is uh, the platform that Swiss and Timberland created on Instagram Live. Um, recently, it was Alicia Keys versus John Legend. I'm not gonna no. lie, John. I, I I underestimated John Legend because yeah. man has catalog. Yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot. Man had. I forgot that he has an album with The Roots. I forgot that he has songs with Common. Yeah. I forgot that he wrote American Boy for Estelle. I forgot so many things. And I was like, oh, I apologize. I apologize because that shouldn't have happened. No, I'm so sorry. But I, I think I, personally, I'm an Alicia Keys fan. She's like yeah, top, top, top three female song, uh, songwriters and singers for me at this moment in time in our generation. So it's mad. But um, after that, he a Swiss went on live with Busta Rhymes, mm. and they were just talking and stuff. And during this time, there is a Drake and Busta Rhymes song. That got leaked, mm. but it was produced by Jay Diller. What? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, oh, so, see, man, Jay Diller's got to go in that top three, though. Like, I yeah, just realized... yeah, yeah, Jay Diller's there. I forgot. Jay Diller's and yeah. Pharrell are in that top five. I, I don't know the order now. I don't know the order. Yeah. But we all know that there is production by Jay Diller that Buster Rhymes has that he. Personally, they probably hasn't even released yet. Like, there's so many. So, so, how this song was created was basically that Drake asked Buster because he has ties with um, uh, Jay Diller's camp and family that I want to rap on a Diller beat. And he gave him one. Uh, and also that there was not. There was actually not meant to be a Buster verse, but Buster Rhymes put a verse in there, anyways. <laughs> and to be honest, we all know Buster Rhymes is very well known for that in certain tunes. So, I listened to this leak song, a snippet of it, 
It sounds like it could have been on the first album. Like, Thank wow. Me Later. That album, yeah. And I said, ooh, this is good. I wish it was on the album. I'm not going to lie. That might have been the best song on the album by then. Um, but obviously, uh, but due to due to some, some, uh, certain things, I don't know from either with OVO or Buster Rhyme side or Jay Diller side, it never got cleared. And um, he was just saying like, I don't know what happened in that end. I actually don't know. I Personally, I don't know how it leaked as well. So I just like the song and mm. I did it for him and it was cool. And Swiss s- says about, don't talk about the Batty Boy. He calls, he goes into his Jamaican thing and he just says, don't talk about that Batty Boy. He, did the, he, he didn't do a Batty Boy. He did a Batty Boy. He didn't put the W in between B and O. So that's how you know he American. So I was thinking, why is he saying this? About who? Drake? Yes. Some. Because we, yeah. all know, we all know it can't be about Alicia Keys because yeah. he has bangers with Alicia as well as, you remember um, Fancy? Yeah. Oh, you Fancy, huh? Obviously, yeah. that's a Swiss Beats song. He's in the song with him as well. Um, and there should be no problems as we thought. But apparently there is. Um, he could keep calling him, I don't want to talk about that guy. And hate, and there's like a little bit of hate or something like that. And apparently it's due, to, and he came out the next day saying, that was the liquor man, I apologize, I shouldn't have done that. Where it didn't blame it on the alcohol, you know what I mean? Like flipping J. JB Fox and T Pain blame it on the alcohol mm-hmm. thing. I'm yeah. thinking, what's this guy doing? And then, if you know OVO and who's in the camp, um, there's a guy called Chubbs, and he's um, he's like a certain type of manager, bodyguard type of thing, maybe as well. He's, he's just a part of the camp um, on OVO, and it was his birthday the same time that he uh, Swiss Beats did the apology. So. Chubbs just posts on Instagram story and say, don't do that. You know, we know that you don't like us now. Keep the same energy when, I, when we next see each other, pussy. So that was it, done. Mm. And I thought, rah, is there actually beef with Drake and Swiss? Because this is what, this is new information to me. So it can't be about Alicia because... We all know there's no way that Drake could get Alicia. Mm. There's a, we know his track record. There's no way it's impossible. Mm. Imagine if it was Mad Ting. Mm. <laughs> imagine, imagine Drake just like low key just didn't take with Alicia, uh, Alicia, Alicia Keys. Mm. Swiss nice. would be flipping. Mm. Um, so it can't be that. But who's what group is um, Swiss Beats a part of? I'm not sure, but in terms of record or label or just... Just, uh, like, group. Just uh, He is a part of a certain certain collective. I mean, he's produced for pretty much everybody, right? But... What's the name was... of his... What's the name of his collective that he's a part of? It's not... 
I'm not sure. Rough but... Riders. Right. Who's in Rough Riders? Now nah, you're you're on some conspiracy thing. I hold on, hold on, hold on. Who's on? Who's in Rough Riders? You have to shout some names at me, bro. Like I said, there's I'm... Eve. There's uh-huh. Eve there, but that's not Eve. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, no, I was thinking of Murder Inc. No, not them. Um, Eve's in there. Um, I forgot the other rapper that's in there. But the main rapper that's in there is DMX. Right. DMX has shouted to the rooftops that he doesn't fuck with Drake. Mm. He said it in an interview when he came out of jail on Breakfast Club. He said it then. And then when... Actually, he even said it on an interview last year that he said he doesn't fuck with Drake. Doesn't mess with him. And I was thinking, why? He's not... He sampled you on views. Mm. Like, if you listen to a song called... I forgot what the song called, but... um, There's a a song on there on views that uh, DMX got sampled in. So he can't be DMX. What's the wrong with that? Why would he have hate for DMX? And then... I was like thinking then, ooh, Aaliyah. Mm. Doesn't DMX have a relationship with Aaliyah and that family? I would, I would assume so. They came up around like at the same time, though, right? Like, yeah, and obviously, yeah. and obviously, um, you remember uh, "Missing You"? I think I thought it was "Miss You," "Missing You," when yeah. there's a video uh, for that song and. Obviously, that was the time that Aaliyah passed and yeah. no one spoke until that video and you could see the first part of the song, of that video, sorry, was DMX speaking about it, like how he misses her and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I dug more into this and I think it can't be about Aaliyah because obviously, as we know, Drake is in love with Aaliyah, loved her personality, loved her music. That's why he's got a tattoo of her and all that so forth. And I remembered the Aaliyah Drake song that leaked right. a few years back. Not a lot of people were happy about that. Mm. Obviously, the family don't, don't know what happened or how it mm. leaked or whatever. And I think that was another case of, um, of DMX being angry. Yeah, yeah. And then I found out a certain information that there was meant to be an Aaliyah album. Of her old recordings. Oh, shit. Remember Michael Jackson Escape album? Mm. That was the case. Mm. There was going to be, before that, there was going to be an Aaliyah version of that. Old recordings that weren't completed and vocals and stuff like that. And I was like, wait, who signed off to become executive producer? I thought it could have been Timberland and Missy. Yeah. Why is it Drake and 40? Oh, God. See, this is, I, I knew that this was like, going to come to some mad conspiracy. Like, from when you started talking about it, I was thinking, there's got to be more to this in it. But that is mad. It took, and I was like, wait, so Drake and 40 were going to executive produce the Aaliyah album that was meant to come out, that, that, that were, was rumored to come out. But at the same time, 
that during that time actually that's when that lit song leaked so i just thought wow what's going on because i didn't know this that they signed this off but apparently they backed out due to the backlash but that was two years after of signing the deal so i was like this can't be because of Aaliyah. There's no way. Because it looks like just a business thing. It can't be emotional. Mm. But at the same time, I don't know. Because why would Squiss let Alicia make a song with her? Song, songs yeah. with him? As well as him making a song with uh, Drake? I'm confused. I'm confused. I mean, I'm confused at the use of Batty Boy as well. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, because like, it comes back to what we were chatting about earlier on, isn't it? Like, once a man can start bringing emotions out on music and start talking about how he feels about people, suddenly he's become constructed as maybe not masculine enough, or or in, in terms of like this heteronormative stuff, where it's like, oh, he he can't he can't be a man's man. He, he can't like girls to be so in touch with emotion like it's just that's very interesting to me that that was the term if, if he was liquored up or not that tells you a lot about swiss and how he viewed masculinity emotions and, and a number of different things of what it's like to be a man it, it gives a lot about swiss in that in that statement so i mean that's an interesting term for sure but i mean it goes back to it bro it's like if we can't just if we can't be emotional on a tune like what's that got to do with sexuality do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I'm, yeah. Maybe I'm looking at it too deep, but I always, I always feel like it's important because, like, youngers will watch that and they'll be like, "Yeah, trust me, like that's facts." And it's like, well, no, it's not. Because that again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on about suppressing that ability to, yeah, even And no one does it better than Drake over the years. Of, of kind of Drake, listen, like Drizzy's R&B songs slap. I don't care what anybody says in it, but. Mm. But what confuses me more is that I get Rough Riders ride or die thing. Like, what? You mess if you you did something with my crew, you offended someone. We ain't messing with you. But I get maybe DMX's point of because obviously he had a relationship with Leah, and he didn't like that the the song leaked. He didn't like various other things. So I'm not sure how he got a sample from him then cleared because well, but it was interesting on how that unfolded though because I was like Buster the Rhymes in the middle of it he's just like listen don't say that like this is all positive positive shit like and you know what I'm saying so we don't really need that you know what I mean he done nothing to do with me he good with me he's like yeah yeah but you know whatever I'm like, if this is about Aaliyah it is dumb no, not dumb, but it is, it is mad. It's mad. It's mad. It's and mad. also, this is the other direction that I thought it could be. As, as I said before, there is a song called Fancy with Drake, Swiss Beats on production, and T.I. There was meant to be a music video for that song, actually, as a single. You were like, oh, I'm ex-. I was like, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of excited. I'm not going to lie when I found that out. It never came out. Apparently, there is a complication between how that never came out and this beef. Right. And apparently, Swiss didn't like it. 
of how I don't we don't know whatever mm. that's whatever but apparently that's probably the main reason the Aaliyah thing that's that was just like me just extending it and finding out information but I think it may be because the video never came out which is kind of a business move but I don't know there could be other things tied to it mm. but yeah it, apparently that is another lane as well of that uncovering so just being as a musician do you think like this type of thing like let's say you do a music video and you're excited about it whatever it's a, a, one of the lead singers of the album you put a, a production you did yeah and the video never comes out mm. how do you feel about that because possibly you could have got paid you know what i'm saying mm. or like there's other things of you setting up stuff or whatever you do all the footage and it's like that shit's never gonna come out uh well i don't know if i'm the right type of producer to answer this question because may- maybe like- just as a producer in general like imagine like you just produced like this major hit of yeah. in an album and it's become gonna become a single and the video is gonna come and everybody's gonna know that it's me it's me yeah, yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah, it's the it's a deep one because I think like music videos enhance the song. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like if you think about a good music video, you, you it adds to the song like for for a number of different reasons. So from that point of view, I'll probably be a bit pissed in a sense that my art and the whole visualization of my art and the people who would have probably been in the video because you know there's cameos. You might have brought some big boys in there. You might have just been like, yeah, you know what, cool. But yeah. I mean, how, I don't know if it's warranting the level of beef to this day, but you, from my experience, like musicians sometimes can be hella petty when it comes to like past stuff, like, oh, somebody, you've declined to work with somebody at one point because they've asked you for a beat, but you don't think the beat's quite right for them. I never remember that for years, bro. Like, I don't remember that three, four years down the line and, you know, they'll just be like, yeah, I remember you didn't want that beat now, so what's good? And it's like, well, it wasn't anything personal. It's just that I didn't think necessarily that the beat worked for you. Uh, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, as producers, like, we have control over our art. Like, if unless you're paying, and again, the money's got to be crazy to put some random or some person on a track that doesn't fit what you're producing, I, right? You just... I, I, just a little sidetrack. How, how much money for you would be... You'd be like, you know what? The cake's too nice. I'm gonna let you go through. <laughs> um, I mean, it depends. Like, I know people that charge. I don't know them personally, but I know like twenty bags of tune and like that. But just for the production. Mm. But like, but for you though, if there's a certain number, I'm okay. So I'm particular with my son. Like, it's not even because I'm bougie like that it's just I, I'm really particular yeah so if I produce something for somebody it has to be for somebody mm. so like for me to have somebody else there's got a we're talking <laughs> I'm gonna sound like it no one's gonna work with me after this I, I'm gonna be like it's gotta be like six figures plus because like for me my art and having it just taken by somebody else that might not respect it yeah you've got to put a price on that art you know what I'm saying and it's not yeah of course so like I'm particularly OCD about it. So like, I don't produce for people anymore. I produce for projects. So I work with like uh, spoken word performers and I, I make music around that so I can really go nuts with it. Because like, 
commercial beats, you're really producing really similar kind of sounds. Like there's not a lot of like creative freedom because there's a recipe for what pops and what doesn't. And you kind of take away that creative process. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if someone was like, yo, depends who, because there's some people I just probably wouldn't work with full stop. You could pay me any money. Um, I probably wouldn't. If, if reality was under my control, like, I'd yeah. just probably, but like, yeah, for, for situations like that, it'd be a lot. It'd, it'd have to be a lot because it's my music, like, and it just, yeah, it has to fit perfect. I'm very particular with it. Yeah. 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 Before yeah. before we before we end the episode, yeah. If yeah, you yeah. had, if you were the producer, one of the executive mm. producers, yeah, of a song, mm. you have one singer, one rapper, and one co-producer with you for one to make one hit. Who would it? Who would those people be? Oh man. This question's gonna keep me up tonight till three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna answer it now, obviously, but well, after this, I'm gonna be sat in bed and be like, because there's there's a like for me, oh uh, god. So one one singer, one rapper, one uh, producer. Co-producer's gotta be Timberland. Like that's that's there. Like that's sorted. Um, oh man. Um. I'm just thinking of the fire, what it would sound like would be different, like, oof, yeah. So Timberland and me on the beat, then I'd probably go D'Angelo on vocals, because we can do a lot with D'Angelo, he's got crazy range. So we can, we can bounce them drums around the vocals and, and we, can, we can make something nice with that. And I'd probably do, for a rapper, Freddie Gibbs. Are you mad? I'd go Ooh. Freddie Gibbs, I'm excited. So I'd, 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 I'd probably do like a sort of mellow neo soul, yeah. With some Timberland drums for D'Angelo, and I switch it into like a more of a sort of contemporary 808 bounce for Freddie, then bring it back into sort of a neo neo soul. That's a that's a good combo. I'm not gonna lie. Jeez, <laughs> Timberland beat Freddie Gibbs, and then D'Angelo on vocals, black. That's a yeah. That's dumb. That's dumb. That is crazy. Because I'm thinking now, because I still need to listen to the Freddie Gibbs project. Apparently, that's very good. With what, Madlib? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very good. And then there's another project before that as well that's really good. I need to check that out. Yeah. But um, I've heard a lot of good things about Freddie Gibbs. Um, so I definitely need to check him out. That's probably going to be a, someone in my playlist tomorrow. I'm going to check out. Freddie Gibbs, yeah. Check out, um, there's a, uh, there's a, what's the album? I think it's just called Gibbs. Or it might be Freddie, actually. I think it's called Freddie. Mm. Yeah, he released it in 2018. That mm. album is disgusting. It's yeah. like, so good. There's, and, there's um, one with him in a pink suit? Uh, yeah, that's the album. That's the album. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got, okay. Pink, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. the album. It's, it was off um, a certain, if, if it was a certain album cover as well, I forgot the artist, but, I'm definitely going to check him out. Um, what else have I need to check out? I've, I've recently checked out Tiana Taylor's new album. Oof. I am in love. I am in love with that album. Um, she's underrated and she will continue to be underrated because she doesn't put out a lot of music. Like, she's not one of them artists that put out like projects yearly. When the project comes... I'm excited. 
yeah. I get excited because yeah. that seven album. I don't know if you remember seven, but that was just oh superb. And I didn't like obviously the the rollout for her album、um, with the Kanye, the whole good、mm-hmm. music thing. I didn't like the rollout. They took songs off. They、yeah. took samples off, and because they, they never got cleared, they tried to make new ones. And I was like, "This is before she even heard the album, by the way." So I didn't like、yeah. that aspect.、Um, but this album, she actually got to create it,、um, be super involved. No Kanye West production, I believe. I'm not too sure. I need to read the credits. But、um, see, see, you're adding things into me now. Like you asked that question about the pretty. I'm like. Kanye, Kanye over Timber. You want to put replace Kanye? Nah, but you know, like certain sounds. Like if I was working with, say, Kanye, or even something to a certain extent, like a Swiss Beats. If Swiss Beats was co-producing, I switch it and go Swiss Beats, Erica Badu, and then maybe I might just bring Gigs in. I might just bring Gigs in and just. Man said he's gonna bring Gigs in and say Hollow Man, Martin,、yeah. boy. Just totally just bring it up and just yeah. I'm not gonna lie, Erica Badu vocal over Gigs beat, especially with a song Essence with a song like a song like the、yeah. uh, the song called the Essence. Oh my lord, Jesus, that's 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 dumb. That is actually dumb. I'm trying to think as well, but yeah,、um, Tiana Taylor's album is beautiful.、Um, I've been listening to a lot of French music, so I was like French R&B. Yes.、Um, This guy called Monsieur Nov、um, mm. found him. A guy called Tace, yeah, Tacey or whatever. I forgot the. I don't know how they pronounce his name. It's T A Y C.、Uh, he's got a few records I like.、Um, mm. I've been listening to old school too. Like, of course, yeah. Yeah, especially especially when these clashes like versus NS10 V10, you have to be listening to. Bangers, alright. Yeah, man. I've been listening to some Haitian,、uh, Haitian bashment, which has been crazy. Mad, it's mad. Sweet.、Um, yes, it's a,、uh, it's a.、Uh, what's his name?、Uh, Jalem Sanchez. It's mad. This, this, like the sort of bashment, like bashment beat with the French sort of, but with the. With the delivery, but it's in French. It's a mad. I'm not gonna lie. I haven't heard Haitian Haitian bashment, but I've heard French bashment. Yeah, yeah. It is like some madness, and I'm thinking, wow, because I forgot there was an artist that I found. She, I forgot her song,、mm. but she had a song, and she was speaking in French and English, French、mm. and patois to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just killing it off. I said, "Yeah, I need to be in a. I need to be. I I need to catch a wine. I need to. I need to be in a、yeah. dance. I need. I need waistlines all over me. Like I need it. To just oh my. oh my days. But yeah, Haitian music. I'm definitely gonna check. I stand corrected. It's not. I, I listen to Haitian, but it's what I'm. Jalem Sanchez is from Martinique, so I need、okay. to correct that. Which is next to Dominique, which is where I'm from. But like,、mm-hmm. I just clarify because I was like, when I said Jalem Sanchez, I was like, yeah, he's from Martinique. He's not from.、Um, but yeah, both both are, are dope. But like, yeah, Martinique Martinique Bashment is crazy. Dominique Bashment is nuts. Haitian Bashment crazy. Like, there's just loads of different styles coming out. So、oh, I mean,、man. 
it's, it's, it's crazy. But before I leave, I need to ask you a question. What did you think of Vibes Cartel's Not Okay? Oh, the rock tune? Yeah. I was baffled, bruv. <laughs> Listen, I was baffled. I love, I love rock. I listen to heavy metal stuff, yeah, my yeah, train. Yeah. But, like, that was so, like, left. It's, it's genius because I don't, I don't even know if it's on Spotify anymore. Yeah, but like, I think it is. Hold on. Let me search while you speak. Hold on. I was, spe- I was expecting, like, but then it started coming in with the, like, sort of indie rock, like, progressions. And I was like, yeah. And then he just starts coming at it. But, like, people were going crazy for it in a bad way. They were like, this guy's sold out to them. They're, like, they're using his government clone to make music. Like, they're just like, all these conspiracy theories came out. But I'm like, you've got to let that man do his thing. Like, he's in jail for whatever reason. Like, I, I, I know he's in jail for a madness. But, like, he's still probably releasing tunes. Yeah, he's probably going crazy. Like, when you make that same music over and over again, I know it's like, even to like a, I'm not saying I'm out there as like a major producer, but I know like when I make the same style of music, I get bored, mad bored. Yeah. When you've been doing that same music for years and years, you might just want to try one thing and then think, oh, let me just test the water. And then what happens is you release like the the let like the maddest tune, you can like like the most opposite to what you do. And people obviously going to like go crazy, but I thought it was interesting like in terms of the time that we were in to just yeah, here goes a rock tune from Vibes Cartel like yeah. I was because I saw the I saw the clip on Twitter and I was just like, "What the hell vibes, mm. rock?" And then I had to hear it. And it's not on Spotify anymore, by the way. But I listened yeah, to it. Drop that. They're like, it, nah. It's probably on YouTube somewhere, isn't it? But um, yeah, I was baffled, bro. Because do you do you re- because he released an album called To T- Tanisha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was baffled with that song too because it, those beats were quite old. They sounded old. So I was just baffled. That's why I just like old vibes. I just yeah. like old vibes. I just like old vibes. Three like. KGL part one, two, and three. The best, the, the top three vibes tunes for me. And there's loads, but like, that's the one secondary vibes. school, man. Secondary school, like, that's just too, hearing vibes. That's too, like, too many. I've got, bruv, I've got a slow bashment playlist, bruv. There's vibes is in there, popcorns in there, Dexter Daps is in there, um, Alkaline's in there, IQ is in there, Movado is in there, uh, uh, who else is in there? Uh, what's the name? Who's who's the one? What's that song called? Walking Trophy. I forgot the artist that does that. I'm not sure, but like for me, let me have a look. Um, Egyptians in there, of by course. the way. Um, Cranium's in there. You got Charlie Black is in there. The Jour is in there. Hood Celebrity, that's her. Mm. Uh, who else is in here? V. A guy called Viani is in here. Collado is in here. Uh, who else? Andrew Blacks is in there. Um, everybody, but busy as well. I, do, I I had to add busy signal just in case. Well, you just brought everybody out for that one. That's a that's a catalog and a half. Yeah, I, I I'm still updating it. I still need to add tunes because I know there's gonna be bashment tunes that I have not heard. Slow bashment tunes, especially that I'm gonna have to need them to add to that playlist because boy, it's summertime in this heat. <laughs> I need something. I need something, man. Get me, but. 
bro, this is and this episode. Thank you so much for coming on. I really no, do you. appreciate you to message me and just actually have a good convo, man. It's all, it's all, it's it's all good, good energies at the end of the day, isn't it? Awesome, um, awesome. Uh, where can people find you to get in contact with you in any sort of way? Um, especially uh, with, with your profession, they might want to get involved in any way. Uh, yeah. So, um, if you want to just have a chat with me in terms of everything that we discussed or anything in particular, my Instagram handle is just Lewis at Lewis Wedlock, which is just that's my name. Yeah. Um, if you want to find out a little bit more about what we do at OTR or Off the Record Project Zazzy. It's just at OTR Zazzy. That's our Instagram handle. We've got loads and loads of content on there for you guys um, if you're interested. But yeah, if there's anything you want to pick my brains about, if there's anything you want to have a little debate with me about, whatever it is, man, like just drop me a message on Instagram and let's talk. But yeah, thank you for having me on, man. I really do appreciate it. It's been, yeah, it's been yeah. Fun. yeah, it's always good vibes to have like just people in general in it. So that's all it is. Um, so yeah, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Uh, YouTube for the visuals, Quot Magazine, we in there, um, Google Play, um, or Worldwide, baby. Um, so yeah, hopefully everybody gets to listen to that. I'm the man from the big BA. Hey, Would you come play around my way? Uh huh. Hey, listen to what I gotta say. Uh huh. Simple plan. Uh-huh. Don't you know I am the man? Uh-huh. Rock shows here at the Ginger Man. Uh-huh. Happy with Shakespeare.